0: Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil and Gas On Shore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeca, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier.
1: All right, welcome to this week's episode of Oil and Gas On Shore. I'm sitting here at the cannon with Mr. Ross Hayes, senior drilling engineer at Alta Mesa Resources. Ross, how you doing today, bud? I see you got the vest on.
0: Doing good, doing good, Justin.
1: Yeah, yeah. you staying warm? It's got—I don't know how it went from 75 degrees to yesterday to now it's 32 degrees, but yeah,
0: I'm trying to stay warm. Windy outside, huh?
1: Yeah, that wind sucks. Honestly, it's—it uh, <laughs> goes right through your clothes. If Ross talks a little too fast, it's because he's drinking coffee and a Red Bull, so he's getting just fired up for this. Was, <laughs> this is hilarious. I've never seen someone drink coffee and Red Bull at the same time, except for when it was like two in the morning, but well, it's all good. You got to keep me talking over here, buddy. I know. You're usually pretty quiet, so I'm happy with your motivation and incentive to any initiative to get uh, highly caffeinated. So interesting story for the listeners. We actually met when i was working at new park as a drilling fluids engineer and we were offshore on an inland barge in louisiana just yep. south of new iberia yeah, right
0: that was about 2012 over at weeks island yeah
1: that's right some interesting drilling days out there but i, I was a mud engineer and this guy i thought actually peyton manning came on the rig because if any of you know ross you'll agree with me but he kind of looks like peyton manning so <laughs> So it was cool. So it was, you know, being a mud engineer, Peyton Manning comes on the rig and one of the few guys that I kinda clicked with right away and yeah, he was a drilling engineer. You just had got out of school or what were you doing at that time? That was
0: right after school, you know, from a uh, graduated AM and got out sent me out to the, the barge rigs. So it was a good experience. I remember sitting out there at night with you though, just talking about different <laughs> things on the rig, man, just trying to learn everything I could and that was that was a fun time. And other than the fact that you're stuck on a, a metal island,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, a metal island that's about 200 feet from shore. So you're like close enough to where you could get yeah. to land, but not close enough to where if you went through that, you'd probably get eaten up by some weird Louisiana mosquitoes or some strange alligator. alligator.
0: They actually, had polar. Remember that? No, I'm gonna
1: re- recut that. <laughs>
0: remember what they had uh actually on that island actually had bears the uh, do did you, did you know that that was a
1: i did not know about the weeks <laughs> island bears that sounds like a team I'm like serious. you can make a team like the weeks island bears where are they from louisiana no yeah, they're not it's
0: actually a little preserve that nature preservative area where they actually had some bears out there so. that's
1: crazy i had no idea uh, huh
0: One place you can see an alligator and a bear.
1: No kidding. That's strange. (laughs) I've never heard of that. I learned something new today, and I was out there for like a year. I'm surprised someone didn't try and – I mean, you know in Louisiana they eat pretty much everything, so I'm pretty sure they – someone at some point probably tried to hunt the bear. But uh, (laughs) nonetheless, moving on, and I actually brought this up in the last episode because I just find it so captivating. So remember when we were at casino night, you were talking about the fire Festival? Oh, yeah, Yeah, the Netflix. Yeah. yeah. So I watched it. You did. Super crazy. And it's funny because some of the footage that they had for the marketing campaign, I actually remember one of my buddies that I worked with showed it to me. And like parts of me actually like started doing some budgeting in my head and running numbers. I'm like, I can probably make this work. Like (laughs) that'd be the dopest party ever and that's right up my alley right oh, but yeah. i didn't do it which i'm glad cuz that would have been a terrible idea up, <laughs>
0: that'd be worse than trying to do offshore drilling
1: yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> trying try yeah. to get all the logistics together with that oh
1: it, that is, what a production but in just the sickness of of this the guy the main guy mentally he's just i, I can't fathom everything that he had going but it was almost like and again i, I brought this up with ian in the, in the last episode it's like you're in so deep it's like you might as well just go all in and try and figure it out and and see what happens but that was crazy yeah was that would that be something you would go to ross no no, no I'm okay a, i'm gonna pass on that one <laughs> but you did go to to vegas to the edc festival and you told me about your experience there <laughs> that was cool no, i'm glad no. that you did that because you're definitely not a like a hardcore edm type of guy
0: that was a bachelor party and i was forced into that one of my really good friends wanted to go and have some fun over there yeah
1: no it's it's actually a quite quite a the the production and the lights and everything it, it's pretty neat so i'm not going to judge you because i actually enjoy that kind of stuff but hey, you, uh, you
0: do you do what you can for your best friends is that right that's true that's true
1: <laughs> like yeah, well let's uh, considering this is a, a Man, podcast. You really uh, you what? took me took me for surprise there. Well hey, <laughs> listeners want you know the true story behind uh, the guy oh, yes, sitting behind no, the microphone. No, yes. So we had to get you know we got to break the ice a little bit. Yeah. But so let's focus on what this podcast is about: oil and gas onshore. You're obviously a drilling engineer, like I mentioned earlier. So how how'd you get in the oil field? And tell us a little bit about your background.
0: Okay, well. My field experience has only been of seven years, so it's not a, not a whole lot like some some other of our other you know people out there. So my my parent, my dad was in oil, oil industry. I'm fourth generation now, and so his parents were in oil and gas as well, working West, west Texas, actually South Texas, West Texas areas before the Permian boom. Before the boom, yeah, oh, I mean wow. a long time ago, right? Yeah. Um, so and then his his mom's father was in oil and gas so yeah it's been a i tried to do something else at first but you know i came right back in into the to the mix of the old oil and gas uh world so right so
1: yeah. were you kind of pushed into it or like you said you tried to do something else like no what, what was it
0: no i i so saw originally when i went off to school i was uh, i went to southwestern i played basketball there and I was looking to be a dentist. Or, okay. You know, the hours looked amazing. The pay yep. looked amazing. You know, it's just that everything was set up there, right? Yeah. Got in there, started studying the biology, and it's just man, I, I always liked you know math growing up, and mm-hmm. there just wasn't a whole lot of math, and it was, it was mostly just memorization of biology and you know different things, especially your core curriculum starting out. So that was. Yeah, that's something I really enjoyed that much. You know, yeah, it was
1: just it, it wasn't it wasn't what it was cracked up to yeah, be. So, yeah, but know. I have to say that you you're at least on the right track because like dentists, like when I go to the dentist, they come in, they take a quick look. Yeah, everything looks good. Yeah, blah blah blah. And I'm fortunate, like I hadn't had any problems. But if their job seems super easy, and I know they make like crazy bank. And one of my buddies from back home in Canada. <laughs> And and no offense to dentists out there because I know everyone that's in business is, is in the business to make money. But, like, they'll be like, oh, yeah, you need this, that, and the other. And the average person wouldn't even know. But apparently they upsell. Like, I think they're, they go to salesman school because they tried to upsell me on some, like, crazy whitening and then this, like, filler stuff and everything else. And then I work out with a guy at our gym who is a dentist who actually is, you know, very humble and will, like, tell you what you really need. And I was telling him all this stuff. And he's like, dude, you don't need anything. Like... You don't even probably need to go to the dentist every year, like the way you know, like you take care of yourself, whatever, blah blah blah. But the point I'm trying to make is, dentists will try and upsell you. So if you if I ever come in, guys, don't try and sell me on something I don't need, because I'm in the sales oh, business yeah. I'm and sure I try that oil
0: to, and gas isn't that way, Well, right. we
1: never sell you stuff we don't need, right? Oh, yeah. All my salesman buddies out there, we're all very. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ethical and we always try to do the right thing for the customer i promise you
0: i'm sure that's always that's always the case
1: it is it is for (laughs) sure so
0: yeah i'm sure you guys don't take advantage you sales sales guys and oil and gas
1: do you think that happens huh do you think that happens what salesmen taking advantage of people
0: i think they maneuver numbers and do things they need to do to to get I mean, yeah.
1: A yes. little bit? Okay. You don't have to paint it pretty you know the, when, when does the quote
0: really match the, the actual work done?
1: <laughs> well, that's true. But Mother Nature sometimes has a different plan. So uh, we yeah. can't always. That's, that's true. Just like Weatherman. They uh-huh. say it's going to be 70 tomorrow and it's 50 and they still get paid the same. That's the way it goes. <laughs> but you actually gave me a good quote a while back about the lawn mowing thing. I know uh, that's your brother-in-laws, but I think it needs to be said because this is the perfect opportunity for it.
0: Okay, yeah. So it's somewhat of a uh, saying or joke. I don't know how you want to take it, but okay. It's like the new oil industry is. Uh, you have lawn mowing companies and you have tree trimming companies, right? Yeah. Your lawn mowing companies are the guys that they just want to hit every house. They want to hit every well, man. They, they, yeah. And you know, they're, it's a commodity business. They want to. They're going to price it in just how. You know, they just, just want to have as many as they can. It's not about the service, right? And then you have your tree trimmers who come by. You know, they have something a little special. You know, yeah, like those mud guys. <laughs> oh, those mud guys. You know, they're chemicals, right?
1: Yeah. So, and those no guys, one understands like, chemistry, right? so that's so a those good guys
0: thing. will come by. You know, we we can we can help your well do this or that. You know, and they, you know they charge a lot more. And they're, they're not looking for every well, right? They're <laughs> they're just trying to catch catch you know ten out of the out of the fifty wells or you know whatever it is. It's just. It's just, it's a little joke Kim and I have, you know, he, he told me I thought it, was, thought it
1: was... That's that's a good analogy. I can respect that because, I mean, honestly, a lot of times on the mud side, we're we're looking for the trophy wells, to, you know, so it's, I'm going to just call myself Mr. Tree Trimmer from now on. I like that. <laughs> so anyway, let's get, I think it's kind of steer it back to where you were. So you, 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 you were forced kind of in the, into school to, you went to A&M and then and tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so my education started at Southwestern uh, did a dual degree right after I found out I didn't want to do the you know whole dental route I did went into a dual degree program there and which required me to do two more years at Southwestern and then did it two years at A&M so finished up there with mechanical engineering and then because I went into mechanical engineering not because I did Really wasn't looking to get oil and gas. It was, right. It was
1: and mechanical. You can kind of. I mean, that, exactly. It's not specialized, so right. it actually kind of helped if you want to get into something different.
0: And yeah, and I just I was at the point in my life where I, you know, was one see expand my horizon, see what see what all was out there, right? Yeah. So, well, lo and behold, graduated and came back to Houston. You know, I'm from Houston, so it's the market here is predominantly oil and gas. Obviously, we're getting a lot more industries in in the city here but yeah when i came back you know it was it was the market was still doing a booming having a lot of people going to work oil and gas industry so yeah i decided to jump right in and i want to get you know get on the drilling side yeah. that's where talking to my dad just under he told me that's where you're going to learn the most starting out so so that, that's the route i went you know and then, then lo and behold i've still in Stolen today.
1: Yeah, hey, that's—I mean—that's an exciting part of it. But I, I do want to ask you. Let's back up a little bit. You went to AM. Do you know anyone or how to get our my friend Howard Wood a ring? His got stolen. He's an AM graduate. Do you have any idea how to go about doing that? How to get a ring? Yeah, his got stolen out of his truck. Well, that's not good. No, it's not good. Who steals Aggie rings?
0: That's not that is no bueno. Uh, sh-
1: people, people will steal anything even if it's for a buck. I'm sure you can go back and. Reorder a new one. Okay. I was looking if you had he an insider a, that could help us out here. An insider? No, right. no, I don't have any insider. Okay. Are you a Manziel fan? <laughs> oh, man. A Manziel
0: fan? uh You know, I was. It's funny. I actually, it was played on a rec team with Manziel before he ble- became the Johnny Manziel he is. No way. yeah at Basketball? Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. was he as
1: good at basketball as he was as a quarterback? So I got a story. Let's hear about this. This is actually this. a good story. Uh, okay.
0: So we were on the rec team, is somebody's of mine at AM, and, you know, they, he put together a team. and I just showed up and played, you know. Yeah. And uh, there was a, he was a younger kid uh, at that time. Just had came in from high school. Quiet, quiet kid. Okay. And
1: which is you wouldn't expect that. Uh, no, not at all. Okay. You so know, old
0: quiet. You know, didn't quiet. have any tattoos. He was a quiet kid. Just. No way. Yeah. Well, quiet Johnny. just well, wants to play well, some baseball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, and he wasn't. So we're sitting there one day. The game had been canceled. The other team didn't show up, and we're just start. Lobbing the ball up and trying to dunk and you do all this stuff. Well, mm-hmm. he comes up and just throws the ball off off the side of the glass. And I mean, I'm telling you, his head's above the rim. And I'm going, "Oh my goodness!" What? <laughs> yeah. How tall is he? He's about six six one. So so he had some serious hops. Oh yeah, I just not, I didn't even know he was on the football team or anything like that. You know, it was just no kidding. Yeah, so. That's my that's my one Johnny Manziel story
1: and that's but, pretty yeah. cool though but, like just hanging out with him playing ball before he blew up and it's so would you say that no like just looking at his character and how he presents himself to you know media and everything is did he totally just take a complete turn after uh, he got famous I mean without I, mean, I think
0: that's what yeah I don't, I don't yeah
1: <laughs> yeah but I mean not in a negative way I'm just saying like because you said he was quiet and this and that and then all of a sudden he you know obviously got a little bit of you know, confidence. That was like just the say a little, little
0: time bit. I spent with him. I don't, I've yeah.
1: No, idea no that, Hey, look, that's pretty neat. <laughs> I, I, I can appreciate that. I mean, I love basketball and to, to know it, it's neat because you, you, nobody can argue his athletic ability, regardless of character and his decisions he does off the field. I mean, the fact that a white dude at six, one can throw it off the glass and have your head above the rim and dunk. That's pretty impressive. I mm-hmm. not that many dudes I played basketball with in high school that could do that or, even, you know, at a college level that are six foot. So, but anyway, so yeah, A&M. And then, so you got in to the oil field, you got into drilling, you worked a little bit uh, in South Louisiana with me, and then you got actually put up into the stack Mm -hmm. when you guys got busy there. So tell us a little bit about drilling in the stack and some of the challenges that you've seen there or some of the advancements in technology. Because I remember, you know, starting off there, you know, days were a little challenging and, shoot by the end of it you guys were knocking out wells left right and center and setting some pretty good records so tell us a little bit about the sort of evolution in that if you don't mind yeah
0: so the stack is considered part of a shale play right but really it's just a, it's not it's mississippi lime it's a little bit harder drilling can have cherty elements to it and you know damage a lot of bits along the way and but you know the art our drilling team. I mean, you know all the guys there. It's it's a it's a great group of guys that I'm working with, and yeah, we were able to accomplish a lot during our time our time drilling there. Went from you know average wells that were in like the sixteen to twenty day range down to you know twelve and thirteen. So yeah, there's been a lot of advancements though, as far as you know, the mud. Can, mm-hmm. You know, our mud systems have improved quite a bit up there. Some people use old base. Some it's it's a really Complex area when you really look at it, a lot of people doing a lot of different things, depending on where you 're at and the pressure regimes you're at in that that formation right so but you know we learned a lot yeah and uh, just you know there's a lot of, a lot of data that was captured trying to learn from that data and improve on on little things right that's right. the I think that's the one one thing we did really good at was not trying to change a whole lot at once. It was just, you know, just gradual improvements, gradual bite size improvements so we could understand the elements that were, or, you know, how they worked and, and if they did help or didn't help, you know.
1: Right. So, what would you say going from inland barge work in South Louisiana up to the stack? What would the biggest difference between offshore and land, would you say, uh, from a drilling standpoint? Logistics. Logistics, I mean, yeah. yeah. You
0: talk about having to. Tugboat over, you know, all your – everything. Yeah. <laughs> to, uh, just driving driving down the road. It's uh, it's just – it's all logistics. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, but everything – so, on surface, it's definitely a lot different to set up the rig. Like you said, you're, you've got to plan logistics. And for people out there that have never worked on an inland barge, you basically have a little dock. And you can see it looks like a big triple with like a triple size drilling rig floating on this big – pontoon boat essentially so you kind of and you have these other big pontoon boats <laughs> yeah and
0: it, it all moves together right so that is one nice thing you know logistically easy it all moves together and it's all one one piece whereas on the land rig you have you know you break it apart and it's like an erector set so <laughs> right you know, truck it down the road to the next spot but yeah i mean that so looking at it's mostly just the equipment difference and then also like i you know, go went back you know, drilling offshore too, you have a lot more compliancy that you have to deal with. So ah, yes, it's so a few more things, testing procedures that are are a lot more regulated out there. So things like that, you know, you really have to pay attention to a lot more than makes than sense. You do I mean not that we don't skip on anything that we do in Oklahoma either. It's just it's just more every 14 days you have to test your BOPs. Well, they don't have that in Oklahoma, right? It's right. Test your BOPs when you rig up and. And then test them on every new well, right? And then that's hmm. that's about all that they require. And is
1: it just, be, is it because they already have enough data points to where they know that the likelihood of having something happen is less versus offshore? You, I mean, offshore you you typically have higher mud weights, more pressure. Is it for that, or is it because if offshore, if something happens, you're not as it's not as easy to actually exit location like on land. Pretty much, everyone can get in their truck and drive away if something happens. Like, why would that be? Like, I, I'm. So, yeah,
0: so I think it's just the liability, the liability of everything. It really takes it up a notch when you get onto the water. But that doesn't mean you can cut corners on land either, right? right. You, everyone needs to be compliant how they handle their business, and yeah, it goes back to all their data points that the state, whatever state or regulator is, has for that, and right, that they determine is. The rules there. Gotcha. When you get on the water, you' talking federal. So yeah, it, good point. Yeah. So I mean, you're dealing with different entities and different belief systems. So at that point, it you know you just comply.
1: <laughs> just <laughs> yeah.
0: comply. At the end of the day, your yeah. life will be so much easier, <laughs> right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that go. That's kind of like even you know, with the government too. I don't know. Some people trying to avoid taxes, and it's like <laughs> I, I tried messing with the Canadian government when I was in. Actually, funny story. So I was working for Precision Drilling. And anyone that's in Canada knows we have breakup. Well, during breakup, you go home and a lot of times back in the day and back in the early 2000s, you could collect unemployment. So tool pusher would say, hey, time to go to the house and we'll call you in a couple months once you know, it warms up and we can drive to basically when we can move the rig, we'll let you know. So I go ahead in Calgary, starting collecting EI. I'm like, oh, cool, if 700 bucks every two weeks for doing nothing. I can handle this. Well, I end up going back to work. And at the time you could call in if you were working or not. So you'd call this automated number and it'd be like, you know, you'd you'd type in on the phone, the keypad, like the dates that you were off of work and whatever. And and it's an automated thing. Have you tried to apply for a job? You know, one for yes, two for no. Well, of course I've tried like one so I can keep getting my 700 bucks. And I kept doing that, kept doing that. And then we ended up going back to work. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I can just keep calling in and pretend like I'm collecting EI. Thought I got away with it, and then like three years later, I get some from the IRS, which is the Canadian government or the Canadian like basically, what's it called here? Is it IRS here? No. IRS. Yeah. No, what's
0: Internal Revenue
1: Service? Right, but what do they call it here? What do you mean? Is it IRS? They call it something different in Canada. I think I'm just getting confused between the two. But anyway, the Canada Revenue (laughs) Agency basically sent me a letter saying i owed a bunch of money and i tried to fight it but what i'm trying to say is always comply because the government will always find you no matter what but just for everyone out there listening make sure you comply just like ross is saying especially if you're drilling offshore anyway Anyway, totally off topic yeah completely yeah um (laughs) okay let's talk about the stack a little bit more so producing out of the mississippi lime it's primarily oil right or does we, we have a mix we have a mix there's a mix yeah, okay we have a mix. Yeah. so just like every other play it's definitely commodity driven so what would you say the future of the stack is or is there a lot more potential is there a lot more oil in place to be able to extract like what, where do you see things going let's assume that for the next five years oil stays between say 55 and 65 bucks is it is it going to be something that continues to stay busy you think Moderately. Yeah.
0: You had, I mean, you have a great reservoir there. It's just, you have to make it economic and you have to do the right things to not, because it's easy to go and overspend in this industry. Right. I mean, everybody does. Everyone <laughs> does. And it's, and it's really easy to do because you hope for the best and you know, you don't always expect for, you know, just marginal, marginal results. I mean, just like, just when we talk about the drilling rig, right. Every minute, $2,500. When you look at our spread rate, I mean, we look at that as that's our baseline. Right. You know, how do we, how do we meet our objective there? Wow. So on a day rate, you know, you're looking at the, things stack up quick. So decisions are made and, you know, not the best hours, as you know, it can be right. it in the middle of the night, something happens or, but it all, it's all going to come down to just getting everything on a cost control basis, getting wells drilled and completed at, you know, a cost that makes sense. And then also right. what we're finding is, you know, just finding out how many wells we can drill in each section. Right. In each drilling unit, you know, that's, that's going on everywhere though. That's right. not just here. That's not new. I right. And we're going to see a lot more of that unfold, I think in the next couple of years with, with everything from the Permian to, to the stack to you know Eagleford had some advantage they were ahead of the game there I think they have a lot more understanding of what they have and what they need to do okay same with the Bakken right but look at these plays that have been hyped I would say yeah I, I put air quotes in the as I <laughs> say that because it's it's uh, you know it's going to take a lot for these these some of these areas to to really perform Right.
1: So, interesting. Yeah.
0: You know, so I think there is opportunity out there and there will continue to be. It's just getting efficient as we evolve in this commodity environment, the price yeah. environment. I mean, it's it's gonna take efficiency and it's gonna take cost production efforts and all fronts from not only the drilling side, you know, completion too and right. production.
1: Do you think and that's interesting, let's touch on completions a little bit. So if I remember correctly, we ran cemented. We were started with Packers, then went with cemented liners, or was it always cemented liners?
0: So it's a little different up there, since we are dealing with the mist lime. It's not all cemented. We can have a lot of losses, so it could be particularly difficult for a cement job to to happen. So right. we, we run most con- typically we run the packer system. So do all of our people around us. They run the packer system. Okay. Swallowable packers, you know. Gotcha. And then, as you get uh, in more pressured areas, you can run more more of a cemented liner in the hole. I uh, got you with that. And then there, we had a few formations we were drilling up there too, that Oswego's and things like that, where we could run cement and Woodford cement. So
1: okay, so yeah. it yeah. depended on it's, basically it's, the losses, which is okay. yeah, it's it just
0: dependent on the sense. on the drilling
1: conditions and what you're given, right? Right. So would you say? with regards to completions, is there room for technology advancements on how much you can actually extract from the Mississippi Lime, Or would you say that everyone's kind of got it figured out? Like, is there more even room for improvement from a completions and how much you can technically extract versus how much they think is even there?
0: Absolutely. That's going to always evolve. Right. Yeah. They're, they're going to, I mean, technology is going to continue that way. And that's the, the amazing thing that we've had with, I think that we're going to continue to improve on is the, all the data we, we collect, you know, it's just mountains of it. Right. And it's how we use that to our advantage. Right. And with that, I think you're going to have, you know, different styles of completions and different methodologies to achieve better recoveries, you know, whether that, and then looking at secondary tertiary recovery methods, that, that's all going to come way down the road but Mm -hmm. you know in in a price environment that makes sense right it's all going to come back to that so at the end of the day
1: (laughs) gotcha (laughs) well look i want to take a quick break and everyone out there if you want to support the show please subscribe and do me a huge favor and take a few minutes to leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to any feedback is welcome so i want to give a shout out to yank medic from the usa wrote congrats on the podcast We'll reserve judgment for now. Good luck. See, I like that because everyone out there is like, yeah, awesome. Great job. And so when I see something like this, I'm like, okay, perfect. There's room for improvement. So Yank Medic siomi if you have anything else to elaborate on, hit me up on LinkedIn and, and tell me how you honestly feel because I'm looking for any feedback. Old JL Digger from the USA says, great to see some real substantial content plus high quality production. Keep up the great work. Appreciate that. Another one is from Dean's. I think that's old Dino up in our Denver office. So a big shout out to you, Dean. I appreciate you supporting the show. He says, hands down, the best oil and gas podcast out there. That's putting me on a pedestal and that scares me, but I surely appreciate the compliment. I'll read one more here by Jay Herr. OGGN is simply the best, constantly keeping me up to date on the industry and helping others stay on top of our industry. Certainly, that's our goal is to keep everyone on the pulse of the industry and give everyone just some insight in different angles and kind of give an idea of, you know, what the oil and gas industry is all about and hopefully help educate people on things that they otherwise never had any idea about. Again, please leave a review. And we have a number of other podcasts coming online. We have actually we just launched oil and gas legal risk. That's great. Please leave a review for Sarah and go t- take a look at oil and gas this week. There's a few others out there. If you just type in oil and gas global network, the number of you know of our podcasts, they'll come up and just give a listen. Uh, we certainly appreciate the support. So Ross, one thing I wanted to ask is obviously there's there's a ton of operators in the stack like the Permian. Is there an issue with drilled non-completes up there, which we all know is ducks? Does that a seem to be a, an issue up there? Because obviously, with the Permian, you have your infrastructure constraints, and so they're drilling a bunch of wells, not completing them. Is that, the, is that a challenge up there in the stack, or as well, or no? Mm,
0: I would say less so. We do have ducks up there, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, but when you look at the size of the count and the count of them, uh, it's not it's not nearly as Substantial as the uh, Permian Basin is, I mean, if you look at Oklahoma overall, yeah, that number gets up there, but it's still about you know probably half of of the Permian. Just just numbers I was looking at recently on drilling info, but that's, interesting. Okay, yeah. So,
1: are there infrastructure constraints in Oklahoma?
0: I would say that's the advantage Oklahoma has okay. right now over a lot of these other plays. You know, the Bakken had its issues with takeaway. Permian obviously has its issues. As we speak, that'll all solve itself over time, but it does take time to you know put pipelines in and find it. capacity to be able to take take things to market so but that is an advantage that Oklahoma has had, and for us the you know the differentials there are not very very substantial at all, and they help you know they help our our margins I would think they do so
1: yeah, no that makes sense that's I and mean, then that's attractive for someone to come in that's looking at the stack to have that in place and it not be a challenge that's got to be attractive for sure. What can operators up there do to kind of separate themselves cuz I mean obviously everyone's competing, everyone's trying to get, you know, as much oil out of the ground as possible. Are there some advantages or anything that people can kind of do up there to set themselves apart in that kind of play or is it basically just become as mo- most efficient as you can and just get after it and try and drill cheaper and faster?
0: I think you said it right. Yeah, efficiency is king right now. Yeah, the getting cost reductions down. You know, getting the right cost price point is what everyone should be trying to achieve today in today's market. I think so. Yeah, yeah, and that that's always the case, right? Yeah, even more so today.
1: Right, because we've. I mean, we've been just climbing out of a out of a bust. You know, thirties and forty dollar barrel of oil, which a lot of operators figured out how to make money even at those low prices and now we're better but i mean i don't see it being 70 and 80 to where we can just spend money like it doesn't you know like it grows on trees <laughs> so uh, and it's difficult right because
0: you have the service side they have to maintain good equipment too right you right know? so you don't want to undercut people so bad that they can't provide performance because that you know yeah i'd much rather just pay a little bit more for a service that would give you you know service companies the ability to maintain their equipment and pay their people proper wages and versus some you know undercutting someone that comes in and you know you, they have downtime downtime right. is worse than you know worse than overpaying just a little bit of money for or just paying a premium right. for a service right
1: and that's an interesting mindset and i mean obviously we could make jokes out of that but that's i think that's important and certainly Operators have a challenge of trying to please supply chain versus understanding. Sometimes you have to pay a premium to get quality service, quality equipment, quality product. And ultimately, where you save money is on days and efficiencies is where you gain that, which sometimes the lowest bid is not always the best. But, you know, kind of going back to that, it's it's important to... You know, Develop a partnership with different service companies because ultimately they work for the operator, but without they need each other, we wouldn't be in business unless you guys were drilling. If you guys didn't have good quality service hands, and where, mean, the, yeah, well,
0: exactly where so, does it come to? It's comes to the people, yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, that's it, 100%. We are
0: this industry is just driven by the people. I mean, mm-hmm. they make and break everything we do out right. here, so <clears throat>
1: yeah, because not it, as much as we'd like to think we're fairly advanced in technology, we're not even close to being able to automatically drill wells and yeah. automatically do everything like we're we're still a very people oriented business and people out there on the rig are the ones actually conducting you know, and actually executing the jobs—it's not just pushing a few buttons. Right. You know, drill to ten thousand feet, click, and it's done. It's like everyone needs. There's so many moving parts and everything. So yeah, it's that's a that's something to to totally touch on, and I, I find that extremely important. And that's what I love about our industry is it's still a people person. There's a lot of handshakes. There's a lot of face-to-face meetings and planning and executing. And it's
0: it's highly technical. You know, people out there aren't. You know, they have to be highly. They have to be trained in what they do. They have to. There's a. It's a lot that goes into it. That people many people don't see you know they just look at the oil and gas industry oh it's a bunch of people out in the field you know just with greasy elbow gre- you know greasy just getting greasy right? yeah
1: yeah <laughs> getting greasy and making a bunch
0: of money <laughs> yeah making all this money well but those guys you know the guys and girls they know what they're doing they right they've been training for a long time to do this stuff so i mean it's
1: it, anyways it's Yeah, it's exciting. We both love our industry. We're passionate about it, as you can tell. And we're just pleased to be able to get on a podcast to be able to talk about it. Before we close out, I always like to ask the the people that I'm with do you have any daily routines or habits that kind of keep you focused and keep going? Because we all know out there, we're drilling 365 days a year. When we go home, we're still looking at our phones, we're still getting emails, we're still looking at pace on. I mean, is there anything that kind of helps you either disconnect or kind of keep your mind in the game in such a driven and such a competitive environment?
0: I would like to say yes, but probably it's just the way I am. You yeah, know? you're uh, just you're just wired to just, just kind of work. wired that way. Yeah, it's yeah. Just,
1: That's a common answer, honestly. Sometimes there's no magical trick. I mean, you can and, read a bunch of books out there, and it's like, I get up at this time. I have this coffee. I have this and this and this and that. And there's without doing that, I, you know, I couldn't perform. But at the end of the day, it sounds like you're this type of person. You get up and you get after it. That's just the way it is. You know,
0: obviously. You know, you have your workout routines. I do too. I like to stay in shape. You know, stay physically fit, and yeah. that, that's good for the good for everything that you do. Um, Absolutely. But no, nothing in general. Just black coffee and
1: <laughs> black coffee. <laughs> as long as you got coffee, and in this coffee case, a and maybe bowl. a little,
0: maybe a little bit of orange juice, and we're good to go. Yeah. You know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're simple, Ross. I like that. Well, look, let's talk about our giveaway, our sponsor giveaway here. Tendeka, our sponsor, is known for innovation and in advanced completions and production optimization. And speaking of innovation, take a look at this. We've got a mini portable projector. It's a goody mini LED projector, perfect for home theater, boardroom, office, and pocket video. For a chance to win, head over to their website, www.tendeka.com front slash podcast giveaway. And that's T-E-N-D-E-K-A. And I'd like to make a few announcements. We actually just had the Frack Conference here in Houston, which was a pretty good time and uh, our podcast launch party. So a big shout out to Tendeka. You guys did a fantastic job setting that up for us and hopefully you had, you some good customers and some good folks to come and that that were able to come and, and hang out and learn more about what we, what you guys do and what we do here at oil and gas global network a few more events coming up we got nape shoot that's right around the corner actually this episode might drop that week which will be the 11th to the 15th that's here in houston we also have think 2019 so if there's any listeners out in san francisco that's coming your way that'll be february 12th to the 15th energy tech night thursday february 21st here in houston we got the spe corporate top golf tournament that's going to be at top golf on the west side of houston on thursday february 21st i know a bunch of folks going to that sounds like it's going to be a good time and then we got the innovation entrepreneurship symposium uh, put on by spe that's going to be february 27th here in houston again and thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you want to hear more or listen to some other episodes online, visit www.oilandgasonshore.com. Ross, thanks again for joining me today. I appreciate it, Thank man. Thank you for
0: having me. I love what you're doing here. It's awesome. awesome. It's great.
1: Cool. Well, I appreciate the support. And again, it's always fun to, there's so much good conversation that we have offline. It's always nice to, you know, it's cool to be able to put it on a platform where people can listen and learn. So if people want to reach out to you or simply say hi and and want to be friends with a Peyton Manning lookalike, how might they go about doing that? Are you a LinkedIn guy, Instagram, Facebook, or what? Uh, I have LinkedIn. LinkedIn. That's more professional. We'll keep it with LinkedIn. We'll just keep it at LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, look, that's a wrap. And everyone out there, always remember, Oil & Gas Onshore, providing energy for the world through innovation one well at a time. Signing out. Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's
0: Oil & Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com.